Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the AltMed podcast. Um, if you're liking what you're listening to and, and maybe watching, if you're on YouTube, um, please remember to hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um, and you will get the latest episodes as they drop. With me, as always, my co-host, Mitch Kurtz. G'day, Steve. Hello. Hello. Um, Good to be back. And we are absolutely thrilled today to have uh, one of the uh, biggest players, if not the biggest, in the medicinal cannabis space in Australia. We have the CEO of Can Group Limited, uh, Mr. Peter Croc. Peter, welcome. Hey guys, Andrew, Mitch, good to be with you. Absolute pleasure to have you. It's um, yeah, it's been actually uh, you've, you've been a one of the guests we've been keen to get on for a little while now. So uh, yeah, we're. We're thrilled to be unpacking so much of what Can Group's doing and, and your uh, pioneering role in the industry. So um, perhaps before we, we get to some of that, you can give us just an overview of your career uh, to date, your experiences, um, and, and sort of what brought you across to the medicinal cannabis industry. It's been an, an interesting ride and uh, over five years now in the industry, which um we often talk about cannabis years being like dog years. It seems like a very long time, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was an interesting um, segue into you know my background with New Farm and agricultural chemicals and uh, various roles over the years there. But um, having just finished a 28-year career there, um, and not long after Doug Rathbone had left, and he he actually joined the board of Can Group and. The chairman, uh, Alan McCallum and Doug asked me to come and have a chat to them about the opportunity in this space where um, they were looking for someone to come in and, and Can was heading down the track early on of, of going to an IPO and, and being involved early on in the piece. So yeah, I joined uh, when there were only about four of us, uh, so early days of Can and uh, before, or just after the ODC had been announced, the, the um, legislation for the Office of Drug Control came into effect in February 2016. Mm. I joined um, in, in April 2016 and um, focused early on in the piece in, in getting licences. Uh, we uh, The day that the ODC opened for business, the, the 30th of October, we had our two licence applications in that day and um, were first to come out the other end of it. Um, and then okay. we led on into an, an IPO where... Um, the ASX, we were the first to be listed through the front door. So they mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't let us list until we had a licence, which we got early in 2017 and uh, and started that path. So, yeah, it's been an exciting ride and interesting time yeah, starting from the very start. And did the five years, the last five years, feel longer than the first 28 years at New Farm? How's, how does it all compare? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny. It's all a bit of a blur. So, um yeah, look, it's been terrific and to be involved in an industry from the very start. Um, and uh, yeah, we've we've been uh, instrumental in helping set up the um, industry body MCIA as well and um, providing a, a voice back to the regulators uh, through that pathway as well as being the first through the front door with licences. Yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Yeah, and that uh, sitting as the chair of MCIA, I think um, there's a lot of people that listen that don't really understand the the dialogue that industry and regulate and the regulator has. I would love to just, if you could, a, kind of a summary or a brief kind of uh, description of how that interacts. I'd love to to understand that a bit more from the MCIA perspective. 
Yeah, it's it's important that, um, and, and it is interesting in terms of being the first license holder, our facility um, in an undisclosed location in Melbourne uh, is probably the most uh, visited cannabis facility in all of Australia by the Office of Drug Control. They uh, used us as a, um, a guinea pig. We um, have hosted a, a lot of their inspectors as they were getting trained and brought on online, particularly in the first years. But um, talking to the to the likes of the ODC or the TGA, when you're wearing an industry association hat, it's a very different dialogue. And they are keen to have a voice of industry that they know is independent of any individual company. And so early on in the piece, um, there were six of us that were license holders that uh, came together and understood that we needed to work collectively to, to provide a feedback loop to the regulators and, um, and also to the industry in terms of things like setting up a code of conduct and, and giving new entrants into an in industry, uh, you know, some guidelines to work to and understand what the requirements are to ensure there's trust and accountability within the industry. And, and that's been an important role for us to play and having that voice back to the regulator where we've been able to uh, provide feedback again without the regulator fearing uh, undue influence from any single commercial operator um, is, is part of the role that we've, we've played. Interesting. Yeah, it, because, you know, when, when we're out there in, in the... Um kind of the, the frontiers of, of, can, of uh, the medical cannabis space at the moment, you do hear some of the, the consumers, some of the patients, you know, saying, oh, it's big pharma, it's, they're only acting in their own interest and it's, it's all kind of a bit of a rot. And I, I think there's, there's a, a bigger picture at play that there's going on here. And, and to hear that, you know, the regulator has that conversation with companies that like CAN and other listed companies and other big operators, I think um, there's, there is a bit of confusion around that. So, yeah. Yeah, look, I think, you know, and a good example around that, um, of you know, one of the key achievements that we, we had in the last 12 months was around the um, down scheduling of CBD and the S3 uh, pathway opening up. Um, the TGA originally came out and said that, uh, or put forward that there'd be a daily limit of 60 milligrams um, as the daily dose limit. And yeah. it was through work that the MCI commissioned, uh, working with um, the Lambert Initiative and uh, Professor Ian McGregor, uh, we collectively worked with them to put together a, a submission and, um, and had the TGA revise that to 150 milligrams a day. The, the idea of um, providing a pathway to patients is, remains our primary focus. Um, Yes, we've got to be able to do it in a way that's commercially sustainable, but um, it's not all uh, about big pharma. And in fact, it's it's almost the opposite in that um, the environment that we're working in, the special access scheme and the pathway we've got is, is a really exciting area to be in where we haven't been forced down the traditional pharmaceutical development pathway, which we know costs hundreds of millions of dollars and probably would see you in about 10 years time with a registered product if we were forced back to square one with this process. So the important part of us though, ensuring that we've got an environment that can be trusted by patients and doctors and the you know pathway for cannabinoids and, and this is a new class of compound for, for medicine in Australia and, and around the world. Um, there are some parts of that, that that we can't cut corners on and um, 
you know, everyone would have heard about GMP, good manufacturing practice, and how that underpins yeah. the requirements from Austra for Australia. We absolutely subscribe to that in terms of that is the at the core of it, gives us confidence for patients and doctors that they know what they're getting. And um, and that's that's why that comes with, yes, there's a regulatory overlay and, and a um, workload and cost that comes with it. But at the end of the day, it really is to everyone's benefit that we we put that in place and we can work to it. So yeah, that, that's our no, thank, thank you, Peter. I, I am one of the, um, we've had a few guests previously that have raised how in those early days of when they were figuring out how to, um, you know, legislate medicinal cannabis access, that perhaps it should have been treated as a complementary medicine. I don't know, were you ever privy to those discussions or how do you think it would go? Do you think it is necessary that you have to see a doctor and um, obtain a prescription? I'm just curious on your thoughts on, on that. There's, there's no doubt that it's a, um, a gray area or a wide area that has uh, the ability to, to go all the way back into complementary medicines. But um, in setting the bar where it's been set, we think it, it is appropriate that it, um, gives us a framework to work to and, and a structure that uh, allows us to get the, the confidence around you know, what, um, what we need to deliver. Yeah. Um, and that, in, that topic you just raised around good manufacturing practice, um, you know, we've seen quite a few listed companies invest very heavily in GMP um, approved facilities, um, often you know, these are the types of, um, you know, the highest pharmaceutical grade labs that you have suction doors and everyone wearing PPE in certain parts of the, the facility. That's just COVID. That's just COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, sort of looks like a, somewhere that might be manufacturing mRNA vaccines. Um, but, and, and people might look at that and say, well, hang on, you know, why, why can't people just home grow cannabis why does it need to go through a sterile lab facility in order for us to have that product made available to australian patients do, do you have any thoughts on the importance of gmp or, or anything related yeah i think uh, bringing it in under that um requirement gives us clarity uh and confidence in the product so yes of course it can be um grown at home and, and processed, you know, through some fairly low-tech uh, pathways and, and historically with prohibition, uh, there's been a, a, you know, push that, that saw that as the only way for people to access it for a long time. Um, so, yes, it is taking it to another, another level, but in doing so, I think it is going to open up uh, um, this as a, an area of medicine that really will be significant for for the welfare and well-being of, of people. So, uh, yeah, I, I think whilst it, it could be brought through other other pathways, the benefits that GMP brings in establishing and allowing us to uh, to get set up um, and give doctors and patients confidence is is what it's all about. Yeah, I think you, you kind of see that when you when you think about the types of countries where you want your sterile or medical products to come from you, you might be more inclined to take something that comes from switzerland for example than potentially uh, uh, you know i don't want to list any countries i don't want to put any on the spot but but other parts of the world if you get what i'm saying 
Yeah, and and that's where Australia has punched above its weight for a long time. So Australian uh, yeah. standards and the TGA stamp of approval on GMP here really is um, gold standard. Uh, yeah. We shouldn't use those terms these days in uh, in COVID times, but yeah, it's um it's definitely <laughs> we're we're up there on a, on a global scale, and and we've seen that already in terms of you know the. We always knew in Australia with, with a small patient base and where we're starting from, setting up at scale was, was going to be important uh, across the board and, and that's why exports were, were seen as important from, from early stages. Mm-hmm. Really all of that, though, is focused on getting it to a, a globally competitive and cost-effective um, system that, that will have benefits to Australian patients. But in doing so, it has opened up you know, important markets into other parts of the world and what we have seen there is that, um, you know, this whole area, it's, it's one of those things easy to say, hard to do, and ensuring that there's continuity of supply and, and repeat supply available um, through pathways is, is what we're focused on and, and being able to do that and set up to do that. Um, it's clearly a big issue here in Australia and elsewhere around the world, continuity of supply and knowing that you could yeah. have certainty of repeat prescriptions and know that you're getting the same product next time round um, is what all of this leads to and, and gives us the um, the wherewithal to deliver against that. The, the continuity of supply, that's definitely something I want to come back to you on from a genetics perspective as well. But in terms of, I just want to finish off this GMP piece because I know you'll have a perspective that is um, probably more informed than most um, around that idea of the different standards that local and overseas uh, products are held to in terms of that GMP. I'm sure that you'll have um, some thoughts on that and I would love to hear them. Yeah, look, um, in reality, when you do get into the pharmaceutical space, GMP is GMP. So you'll hear a lot of talk about EU GMP. Um, Mm. In fact, it could be GMP. Yeah, and CGMP, that's just continuous GMP, good manufacturing practice. So it's it's a journey that continues um, forever. You don't you know, get to an end point and say, I've, I've made it and it stops here. That's why it's the little C in front of it means it's continuous. Um, but Australian um, requirements and the way that TGA regulates around it um, is world standard. So it's, it's up there with um, the EU, uh, Canadians, um, the UK, uh, the FDA are their own special beast. That's um, that's known. They they you know don't acknowledge any, anyone else. But, but again, it, it is underpinned by GMP. Um, but as far as the the rest of the regulatory world goes, uh, there is um, consistency across them that uh, our Australian standards will allow us to play in those uh, those other parts of the world. And and you're right, there are certain jurisdictions where the GMP um, you know, does come with a question mark over it as to to how you're getting what you you're really getting. So, Australia helped lead the way in terms of what's expected around the world. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And before we move on, sorry, I'm just my last one is just TGO ninety three, and I'm sure for some of our listeners, they're thinking this has turned into a regulatory deep dive. But it's uh, what we're really getting at is quality of medicinal cannabis products in Australia and. I know that when the TGA introduced Therapeutic Goods Order 93, which is the, the standard for medicinal cannabis, 
that sets the limits on um, what the allowable uh, or detected amounts of certain um, dangerous substances would be in cannabis. And these include pesticides, um, ochratoxin, ash, these sorts of things. I'm just curious. Um, we know that imports, any medicinal cannabis product supplied in Australia must meet that standard um, and then therefore be safe. Um, but what, what do you say to the, the proposition that all medicines shouldn't have to meet GMP and they should only have to comply with that uh, quality standard that was issued by the TGA? You know, why the need for these multi-million dollar labs? Yeah, look, TGA 93 was, um, was put in as a, an interim measure um, and, and the regulators sort of been learning on the way through in terms of what to do with this. So, I think it was only ever expected to be a sort of a, an, an interim measure and it did give uh, patients in Australia access to product when we didn't have the wherewithal to produce it locally. The, mm -hmm. the real issue around TGO 93 and, and the TGA are stepping into a process where they're going to make GMP a requirement as part of that. They're, they're doing an, um, they have to do a review on various steps under the uh, legislation to, to in, in, um, enact that change. But in doing so, it, it will bring us to a level where everything being received into Australia for patients to use here will be of the same standard. And that, that really is important. So um, at the moment, it's uh, confidence is undermined with some of the product coming in that doesn't, um, you know, doctors don't expect to have to try and work out to what quality standard is this product um, meeting and, and is it appropriate for them to um, prescribe or not? Um, so the idea of, of the requirements of imports meeting the same standard and the sponsors who are bringing the product in being held to account on that, that's, that's the change that's going to come through. So, yes, it makes sense that um, any medicinal cannabis product in Australia, once it's gone through that process, would be known to be of the the same standard um that's what patients are looking for and that's what doctors are looking for yeah that's it's it's really um yeah quite an interesting area i, I think that um as we progress it, it'll also be interesting to see whether or not that gmp standard is rolled out for compounded products i know the tga has um has spoken a little bit about that as well that so, so that in effect, as you say, the, the level playing field would be no matter if your medicine is compounded, imported, um, produced domestically, it's, um, it all has to meet uh, that highest pharmaceutical grade of, of manufacturing. Um, compounding one, compounding one's interesting for me because mm. uh, there's no other product that is, is held to those types of regulations in compounding, actually. Yeah, and I think um, just slipping my MCIA hat on, um, <laughs> we... Um, we had a board meeting yesterday and we're speaking to um, Minister Hunt's advisor around this topic, around all of these, these issues. And I think the compounding one is one that they, um, uh, they won't take it through to the full GMP standard because, as you say, Mitch, it doesn't, um, it's not required for anything else that pharmacists uh, mm -hmm. compound. So but that, I think they will look at uh, um, bringing it in under the special access scheme so that there's uh, some review of, of what's being done. So um, I think where they were really focused around the compounding side was where uh, there were some operators who were taking it to um, the extent of, of 
compounding in bulk, which is is not what that process is meant to be. Yeah, uh, right. and and so I think bringing that in under the special access scheme is where it, it will end up with the right controls, but um, I don't think they'll be layering GMP on top of that because it's inconsistent with how compounding pharmacists work. So, um, uh, the, yeah, the, and that's part of the feedback loop where we've been talking to and working with the regulators. They're, they're taking a pragmatic approach to this where they can and, um, and understanding the implications so that we don't end up with a a system that's um, lopsided one way or the other and, and has additional cannabis sitting out um, or causing issues um, that are inconsistent with how they're working in other areas. Excellent. I, I think um, it's, it's, it's actually been quite a technical discussion thus far. I know there's listeners that will be listening in that want, want to know when do we get to the juicy stuff? What types of products <laughs> sorry who says regulation isn't juicy uh, well for, for lawyers like yourself <laughs> but but for laymen like me we we like to know about the products the strains things like that with with what you can tell us um what is on the horizon for can group in terms of uh, i think we're looking at it aren't we <laughs> yeah we're, it's actually in the background um yeah. Yeah, it looks really good thus far, although it could be a little bit greener on the floor, I think, for some people's imagination. Yeah, no, that's right. So, yeah, no, this is our um, uh, facility up near Mildura, which uh, is, that photo is only a few weeks old and uh, the construction project is coming along really well. Um, look, it's super exciting in terms of what we're going to be able to do um, and, and take the work we've already done. So, you know, we mm -hmm. haven't been sitting on our hands for... <laughs> five years we've been um, uh, producing product and making that available to Australian patients um, and also exporting some product. Um, so we're, we're setting everything up, but what is on the horizon around the ability to produce in a facility like this, um, combined with what's come through our research program with um, Agriculture Victoria, uh, La Trobe University, the the precinct we're working in down here and the capability that's in Australia, it, it is world leading. So the geno genomics work we're doing and, and the accelerated breeding program, how that's going to translate into some really interesting products coming through, through a facility like this where we can produce um, at scale, reproducibly, um, but also take it into uh, product forms at the other end of it, uh, in the last year, we completed the Satifarm acquisition, which mm. brought us a new technology platform that um, is really exciting and, and will take us into a delivery of cannabinoids in a, in a capsule and a form that looks more like a medicine that doctors normally prescribe. So uh, that, that's going to be exciting. But, you know, drilling in behind that in terms of what we can bring with the genetics into that, that sort of program, it's um, really exciting frontier ahead of us as, as we bring that through yeah well there's um i mean the over the counter is um is certainly something that uh, I, I expect to see can being you know one of if not the first to um to sort of be in that space um which is i think going to be a bit of a game changer um but i wanted to yeah talk about the the genomics research um that that's going on so you have a partnership with um uh, yeah agriculture Victoria, um, and I assume, you know, a lot of that research activity is, is under wraps, but at a very high level, is it, um, are you exploring 
different strains, uh, terpenes, flavonoids? What's the, where's the area of interest? Yeah, a lot of the work to date has really been setting up the foundation that we can leverage and, and um, take forward with, uh, particularly when we get into a facility like this, being able to take research onto an industrial scale is, um, is going to be exciting. Um, the work we've done with them to date, or, or in fact, a, a parallel um, AgVic uh, in the dairy industry have, have had, had a huge impact in terms of their capability there. And it's going to be run a close parallel where here, or at the moment, they, they have every dairy animal in Australia is on their genetic database and they can take a DNA hair sample from a tail of a bull calf at six weeks of age and tell you within 1% what its progeny are going to produce on a daily basis in terms of protein, fat. Wow. Um, and the, the capability and the big data element of what comes behind what we're doing is, is where that's going to be world leading. Um, you know, from the early days where we had a lot of interaction with the Canadians, uh, when they came down and saw what we had available here in terms of that technology. Um, and actually, I don't know that... Um, the Canadian Ag Department yet recognised cannabis as a crop. You know, they uh, they saw what we were doing down here and, and realised we were going to uh, have a capability that would be world world leading. So, um, the and, and you know we talk a lot about THC and CBD as the two key components, but the entourage effect, which we know is code for, there's something else in there, but we can't ex ex exactly <laughs> tell you what it is that's. Uh, making the difference, um, the the big data element of, of what we can do um, in track, tracking through from plant all the way to patient and looking at patient um, uh, response to to the cannabinoids and I, I often refer to them as trace cannabinoids as opposed to minor cannabinoids. Um, yeah, it's it's really exciting to to you know think what we'll be able to do with that as as we go forward. That's very interesting. So, are you saying that? essentially you'll be able to take a plant and trace almost like reverse ancestry of that plant and find out where it came from? Uh, it's more what we can look at is of all of the, the material that's in production. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, all or most medicinal cannabis is grown by clonal propagation. So yeah. we're literally cloning plants and, and once you've selected a line and you know, you know what you want to work with, it's, it's keeping that, um, purity and, and certainty of supply um, clear. Going back and growing from seed is a bit like a shotgun approach where you can plant a thousand seed and, and the variability that comes with that. Um, for us to be able to take a thousand seeds, put them into production, um, take a leaf sample, you know, a couple of weeks into, into the plant's um, life cycle where we will know whether it sits within or outside the range that we normally produce in. That's where you'll get the accelerated breeding program coming in where you can, out of those thousand plants, select 10 and, and take them through in, in entirety and, and then start with another thousand plants behind it. So it's that sort of work that will be done that lets you know whether you're playing within the same, uh, whether you've got something novel and, and different mm. in there in terms of, down the track, looking at how patients respond to uh, products that have come out of a, a particular strain is is another one that sits out there as a holy grail. Um, that one's a, a bit harder to, to, to work through, but 
definitely sits ahead of us as, as something that we can work on. Wow. So you essentially you're saying that you'll be able to two weeks in take a sample from the leaf and tell what minor cannabinoid or terpene profile that plant would have by the time it flowers. Is that, that that's it's heading down that sort of track where you can say wow. uh, this is either the same as what we're all already growing or it, it sits somewhere else and, and could be of interest to us. So there are times where you want to know that it is the same as what you're doing and there's times sure. where we're actually looking for that point of difference to take us in a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating, actually. Um, very interesting. Uh, when, when we're talking about the different product formats, for example, capsules or sublingual or any of the different um, types of products that are just emerging almost every day, especially overseas, um, you know, uh, soft drinks and, and cosmetics and all sorts of stuff. But what um, what do you say when we, you look at the data and you see there's a, a huge resurgence in just raw flour, basically, or I'd like to say raw, irritated, but um, <laughs> but uh, flour nonetheless. Yeah, look, there's there's no doubt that we've seen that pattern emerge in, in a number of markets where <clears throat> those who are comfortable with uh, accessing cannabis and, and using it in that form, largely smoked, um, uh, there absolutely is is a huge user base who are comfortable with using it in that, that fashion. And that's where mm. a legal pathway opening up where people can access it and, and know that um, they're getting something that isn't loaded with heavy metals and mm. toxins or something else. Um, it absolutely makes sense that uh, accessing it through a, a medical pathway um, gives them confidence and they can do it legally. So yes, there, and, and yeah, we've seen it in, and the Canadian market really grew from that to start with. So that's, that's probably the poster child of that, that sort of, uh, you know, mm. even through to today, I think the proportion, largest proportion of cannabis used in Canada for medical purposes is still, um, still smoked. Um, mm. So yes, you will see an, an interest in it in that form, but um, definitely in Australia, you won't find any doctor who would suggest that smoking is the right way to take take medicine. And um, so providing it in a form where doctors can have confidence in what they're prescribing and, and it sure. looks like something they normally would is, is mm. where um, there's still a, a really important role for developing products through in other forms that can be taken through that way. I certainly don't uh, smoke or vape my antibiotics or, or any other um, medicinal compound that uh, I might get a prescription for. But you might need to put some uh, CBD in your puffer, actually. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's no doubt it's a very efficient way to get it into the blood bloodstream. So, um, yeah, it's not ruling out that um, vaporization or some form of inhalation uh, medical inhaler is not, you know, there will be uses for it in that form, sure. particularly for rapid onset um, uh, use, yeah. Okay. And I, well, I, I'm going to steer the conversation to a bit of a different direction, but I just, I know that you through your work with MCIA have um, I think played a bit of a role in working with government around advertising um, of medicinal cannabis. I think mm. it's a, a bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand we have doctors and the public who I would say, um, you know, I'm generalizing here and I mean no disrespect, but the, you know, it, it's not that they're um, deliberately uneducated, that it's just so hard to educate them because there are restrictions in place. I know that um, there's, you know, fewer restrictions for 
for doctors say, but even still, um, it seems to be an emerging field, the, um, the education of doctors um, in becoming authorized prescribers and the like. And then, of course, there's the general public who it seems have to resort to underground forums on Facebook, Reddit, in order to just exchange in a very free-flowing manner information about their experiences with clinics, with products. Um, what, what's your thought on the current state of advertising prohibitions in Australia? And I appreciate the, the difficult position you're in as a conduit between the industry and, and government, but do you have thoughts around how we could improve that to, to provide for better education? Yeah, look, we, we do. And, and I think, you know, it's really important uh, distinction to make. Uh, doctors don't need educating, but they do need access to the right information. Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's been careful to, to, you know, distinguish between that. In terms of it's something that we've seen and knew was really important from an industry association perspective. Um, and through the MCIA, we set up a medical advisory council um, which is now chaired by uh, Richard Di Natale and um, in his role as a medico, but as an, uh, an ex-politician. I don't know if they're ever ex-truly, but um, <laughs> he's, playing, he's playing a really important role in terms of providing a, um, or in opening the doors, which, which has been terrific to, to have the dialogue with the likes of the, um, the AMA, the RACGP, so the various colleges, but... Um, there are two that we've, we've started the dialogue with and Richard and the Advisory Council have done a tremendous job um, and, and again we were only talking about it yesterday with the Minister's advisor as to how we can engage and provide ways and potentially different um, pathways for medicos to, to effectively become, to get a tick of approval around, you know, at the moment under the special access scheme where they have to apply um, on a patient by patient basis or as an authorised prescriber where, and we've seen changes happen uh, through the TGA uh, with that, which is good. So authorised prescribers previously had to get ethics approval before they could then um, be, um, and, and that was done on a product by product basis. Um, the change that's been made recently is that um, they can now get a, a blanket ethics approval for up to five years, I think it is. Um, uh, they still have to get a sign off on a product by product basis, which interestingly is, is linked to TGO 93. So as that changes to require GMP means that doctors will know that they'll, they'll have a product that um, meets the quality requirements as well. But in doing so, um, they, for by opening it up so that I've got blanket approval to work with medicinal cannabis as a group of products uh, and then tick off on a product by product basis changes changes that. So um, the, the idea of the, um, the council in talking to uh, the TGA in particular, I think will bring forward, you know, are there other ways that we can effectively get doctors approved that's um, not not as onerous or time consuming for them at the moment it's still very inefficient um mm. we want to remove the inefficiency but give them the confidence that they can prescribe products and know how to and and where to get information that they can then pass on to patients so i think we will see this area um improve and doctors get ready access to information and and then also to patients so 
the the um, prohibition on advertising yeah is something that has been problematic we've seen some some players flaunt it and um and run the gauntlet and and it's mm. not helpful it undermines confidence um we want to make sure that that's uh, that's not the case so mm. yeah i think it'll it'll improve and um there's a lot of focus going into it well, well the, and that's an interesting point you raised just at the end there about those who uh, don't necessarily play by the rules. And I, I look at that not only in the, the legal market, but also, of course, the, the many CBD um, oil or they call it hemp oil providers who are totally um, uh, operating on their own. Um, and I look at the environment in which we operate um, or in which the industry operates, and, and it seems as though there is very little regulatory or enforcement action taken by the TGA. I'm not sure whether that's for lack of resources in that space or what, what the case might be, but it's certainly, um, you can see that for some people in the industry, there's um, not much to incentivize them against, um, you know, advertising uh, the way that they wish because they know that they might just get a, an angry letter from the, the regulator or something like that. Do you think that um, nothing at all? Yeah, or nothing at all. Do you think that? Yeah. Uh, I, and I, Look, I, 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 I think yeah. it is starting to change. It's um, it definitely is a resource thing. And when you look at COVID overlaid on it, the regulators in a you know really difficult position with with everything that's going on. Um, so they they definitely have started to um, uh, circle back though and and ensure that. Um, well, they've, they've put their teeth in on a number of matters now, and and I think um, that that's been one of the things that um, I think people have been waiting to see is are they actually going to take action, and as and is it of consequence? And yes, there have been a couple of cases now where it it has been of significant consequence to to players, and um, the idea of uh, running the gauntlet, um, yeah, it's I think there's um, there's enough activity happening in that space and, and when they do put their teeth in, it's going to be of significant consequence. So um, it, it is good to see what they've done. And uh, and I think, yeah, they are working hard in the background with the resource they've got um, and, and it, it is starting to, to play out now. Well, yeah, and hopefully, um, yeah, we see just good practices across the industry as a whole. Um, before well, that's just we- for the... For the industry, yeah. though, so you can go on Instagram and search CBD oil Australia and find oh, as many uh, as many as you like in terms of people operating completely outside the scope of the industry, um, yeah. or at least the, the, the legal industry. Um, I'm, I'm sure all of them are TGO 93 and, and GMP compliant um, yeah. products. Yeah. Are, well, yeah. Some of them say that actually, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, you could almost employ somebody as a, as a social media manager at uh, at the TGA or ODC and, and just uh, see all the hashtags. That, that that did come up uh, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So yes, they. Oh really? They, okay. Yeah. No, they are they are keeping an eye. Well, they're aware of it. We've made their we've drawn it to their attention as well. But um, mm. uh, yeah, you're right. It's a, a bit like whack a mole where um. <laughs> Take, take action on one and they just pop up under another page somewhere else so yes um, totally yeah um before we let you go Peter, I, i'm just uh, curious to know uh timelines wise uh, how close you i know already can is is 
producing at the undisclosed um, other Victorian facility, but um, but I'm just <laughs> undisclosed Mildura that you mentioned. No, no, well that's the that's the other one. I, I was kind of coy about this. Ah, yeah, um, yeah, it, does, yeah. it does remain it's it's undisclosed, but not unknown. We'll put it yeah, <laughs> um, I was going to say I hope that when you're driving in those parts that you know where it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but yeah, with regard to the one in the Mildura region, how far away are we from seeing that um, begin to, to get going? Yeah, no, it's really exciting. So we've um, employed and are actively employing at the moment, but uh, in parallel with the cultivation facility setting up, we've got a GMP lab and uh, we're looking or we're commissioning at the same time our extraction uh, capability up there as well. So all of that's happening in parallel and um, uh, Touchwood, uh, COVID um, allowing, we're, um, we're on track to have plants in the facility by the end of this calendar year. So um, brilliant. Uh, there's no doubt COVID's throwing up some curveballs. Um, as you, you know, that. know today it was our 200th day of lockdown in Melbourne since it started. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's been um, a hell of a journey to be on. Um, mm. But so far we've, we've managed to keep things moving up there and it's um, really exciting. And uh, I dare say, and I'm hoping we will have um, a ribbon cutting and, and get some um, uh, opportunity to, to show people what we're doing uh, without disclosing any of our security uh, steps up there. But uh, it'll definitely be something that um, will be a standout uh, capability to have here in Australia for, for Australian patients. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, we're excited think, to um, watch all that, that unfold. Um, but... Mitch is just frozen there. Um, all right. Well, we might wrap it up there. Oh, I've got a tendency of doing that. <laughs> we um, we might finish up here, but want to just say thank you so much, Peter, for your time. We, we um, have. <laughs> we've, yeah, we've lost Andrew. It looks like. But, ah, um, it's me and I. Uh, Mitch just. Who, who are we yeah. losing here? We're, we're yeah. well, This is COVID. I blame COVID. If anything yeah, goes wrong, in parallel universes. Um, but. <laughs> Barring that bit, which we'll edit, we just want to say thank you very much, <laughs> Peter, for, um, for joining us um, on uh, on today's AltMed episode. We know how busy you are and we, we really appreciate your time. We're super excited to see what unfolds with CAN. Um, so we'll be watching. And MCIA. And MCIA, of course. Um, and, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll end on one question, which we uh, like to ask certain people um, when they come on the show is, when, if ever, do you see recreational adult use cannabis happening in Australia outside ACT, of course, because they're only going to do it. There is a special case there, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think it's interesting in terms of establishing a, a medical um, pathway and in, in industry, um, recreational would actually just be a distraction. Um, I think we saw that in, in Canada. It completely mm. distracted them and... and uh, blew things up for, for, for everyone. But um, uh, look, it's not off off the cards, but it's not driving our, our business or business model or the industry itself. I think um, uh, there's no doubt there's recognition and it's one of the reasons why cannabis is generally regarded as safe. I think when, when you look at the safety profile, it's, um, uh, it's one of the reasons why there is, I think, confidence around um, the use of, of cannabis, opening that up fully to um, you know either decriminalisation and and then a full recreational market behind it, um, 
I think is just a bit of a distraction and, and I'm not sure that um, under the UN convention that we're operating here in Australia that there, there's any um, federal appetite to, to head down that path. It's, it's just a, I think it sits in the too hard basket and on that basis, um, it's Interesting. probably at least five years away, you know, in my mind, if not, if not longer. So, so certainly not in the short term will we see the Mildura facility operating a bit like a winery where people can just sort of <laughs> drive in, you know, try a few, do a tasting, if you will. Um, uh, won't be seeing any of that. No, we're, we're not going to be hanging a shingle out the front, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Well, no, um, thank you, Peter. We, um, yeah, we'll be watching... Uh, yeah, the Can Group journey and, and watching all your, your great work with MCIA um, with interest. And, and I'm sure we'll probably, we're probably due to cross paths in, in person at the United in Compassion Symposium that has yeah, been posted. We would have met there, but uh, other than that, um, hopefully we can have you come along when we uh, do cut the ribbon um, in, the, in the Mildura facility. So oh, we would really love that. Keen to keep you abreast of where we get to and what we're doing with it all for sure. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, until the next time we speak, Peter, we'll, um, yeah, take care and we'll, we'll speak soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Mitch. See you guys.